You may have noticed something about the name Knight Frank, the second of those two words in particular. Frank. We've always prided ourselves on being just that with our clients, and never more so than now. So if you're thinking of selling or letting your home, contact your local Knight Frank office. We'll give you a frank opinion of its value, frank advice on the best pricing strategy, and a frank estimation of how quickly it will sell or let. What else would you expect from Knight Frank, your partners in property? Hello and welcome to At Home With, a podcast in the residential business at Knight Frank. At Home With offers a glimpse inside the lives of some of the world's foremost property experts, their clients and our partners. And every week you'll be hearing conversations with interesting people from across the world about how they made it to where they are today, how they found their dream homes and how we can help you find yours. I'm your host, journalist and social media executive at Knight Frank, Rebecca Hills. Today I'm joined by Gary Hall, our head of lettings. Gary and I had such a great conversation about the issue of representation within the property industry and why he's so passionate about making a change, why he's learnt to lean into his somewhat impatient nature and what he loves so much about the City of London. Gary began his career at Knight Frank back in 2003 in our Wapping office. After three years, he took on the role of lettings manager before progressing to regional head for the North, City and East of London in 2011. Following this, Gary's career trajectory only continues to move upwards and in 2018 he is promoted to proprietary partner and then in 2019 he is promoted to become the head of residential lettings, running our 30 offices in key residential areas in London and the home counties, together with the corporate services, property management and investment lettings management. If this wasn't enough, Gary has also worked on a significant number of high-profile development projects across the capital that have been sold around the world. Gary, it's a pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast. Good morning. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. How are you doing, especially with everything that's going on at the moment in lockdown three? Oh, it, it's, yeah, it's fine. I'm actually propped up at home. Um, I've got a cushion behind my back. I managed to, not only did I catch COVID over Christmas, um, which wiped me out, but then I was moving some boxes over the weekend and managed to pull my back. So I've, I've just oh, gone from one gosh. thing to the other, um, but um, it, it's it's fine. It's all good. <laughs> oh, goodness. How how was the COVID? Was it, was it particularly bad or was it not too bad it, it wasn't nice it was it was like flu but with horrible fatigue we obviously we couldn't go out over christmas but I, I i couldn't have gone out even if i wanted to but i'm past that now which is good um and but it's it's not a nice virus so um it's good that everyone's staying at home yeah absolutely gosh it feels like everybody seems to have it at the moment this new strain seems to be so much more potent than the last one definitely there's a lot more people as you say that you know that, that's catching it um yeah, which is which isn't good no, not at all. And how have you found kind of the lockdown periods more generally? Obviously, you've been in this for, for nearly a year now when we're recording, but how have you found the whole working from home side of things, like the more personal side of it? Like, what's the experience been like for you? I, I'm, I'm quite a positive person and I try and look for the positives in situations. I try not to read the news too much. Um, it just makes you too depressed. But I, I look at kind of what, what the good things are in the situations, what we what we've done, what we've achieved, um, and 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 some of the good things that, that as a result of it, I've seen my family more. Um, we've we've improved our customer service due to being on the phone more often. So it, it's been tough. It's not nice, um, but actually looking at the positives instead of focusing on the negatives has really helped me through this period. Um, it'd be great if it was summer again and we can go and stand in the garden at your lunch hour, but. Um, I, I think it is what it is. I, I look for the light at the end of the tunnel. We're coming out of this now. Um, and 
it, it's something you really got to focus on. You've got to focus on the good stuff. And if you're constantly focused on the negatives, uh, the world's terrible, it's not happening, nothing's moving fast, it, it's just going to make you depressed. So I, it's, for me, always trying to look at the, the, the positives in a situation definitely helps. Yeah, completely. I think that's the perfect attitude to have. It's such a fresh perspective. And I think that having that sort of perspective, especially in the role that you're in, is probably hugely beneficial for the people that are working within within the lettings team. Is that something that you think that you've developed over the past year, a more positive perspective on things because of the role you're in? Or have you always been a more positive person? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I've always been as positive. You definitely need to to be positive in your role, especially when you're looking after lots of people, um, and you've got to you've got to instill that positivity within your teams to ensure that they've got the enthusiasm as well. So, I think I've developed it more with with looking after a larger group of people um, and a team. And in in any sales environment, you need to ensure that you're being positive. Um, if if you've got a negative approach in any situation, you're never going to get the job done. So, I think I've probably developed it over time, but. I'm normally looking for the positives in a situation instead of being too too negative about it. Mm. And touching there a little bit on the lettings business, and we'll go into this more detail later on in our conversation, but how has the, the letting business been performing over the past year since kind of COVID came in? I, I was reading somewhere that rental values fell a little bit towards the centre of last year, but how do you think that the market's performing now? It's been really good. It's really surprised us this year. Um, the, the resilience of the market and the appetite for people still to move in lockdown. First lockdown, people were taking properties virtually at a lower level than what we were used to, but the market was still moving. People still needed to to, to to move homes leases came to an end um people had to move home so we had the necessity side where people had no choice they had to it's not like you own your home and you can stay as long as you want when you're in a rental property there's an end period and you have to move sometimes so um we had people that still had to move um and the, the domestic market really surprised us in terms of people that, that wanted to change when you're stuck at home for long periods of time, whether you want that extra bedroom as an office, whether you want to change the location and you want to move a bit further out or on the flip, you want to move further in. We've now got people that want to be as close as possible to their office. So when things get back to normal, they don't have to get on the tube and they can walk into work. So everyone's the, the boxes they used to tick have changed massively um, and, and people are still very keen to move. And at the moment, it's one of the only things you can do is 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 go and look at properties, which obviously we're very, very careful on in terms of COVID safety, um, but there's still a desire um, to, to move home. The, the, the price reduction has been an interesting one because we've not rented properties at the same level that we've done previously. There's a, in, in prime central London, there's an oversupply of, of stock on the market, which has seen prices come off a bit. So we've seen a 10% drop in prices, which again has helped people if they're looking to move slightly closer into central London, they can now afford that, that property if they're not looking at paying transport costs, um, they're upgrading in terms of their, um, their home. So it's really interesting to see how the um, dynamics of the market have changed over the past 12 months. Mm, that's really interesting. And we'll definitely discuss that later on. But to begin the podcast properly, I would like to take a, a step back and go all the way back to 2003 when your, when your career began, or even before that, before you started working at Night Frank, and find out what it was that drove you to pursue a career in property. What was the impetus behind that decision? I, I, I'm not sure if there's many people that, that um, at school think I want to be an estate agent. Um, I, I, I didn't go to 
I, I wasn't one of these ones where I, I kind of had family and property um, and followed a certain path. Um, I fell into I fell into agency. Um, I um, left school, didn't go to university, um, just wanted to get out. I wanted to get on the train. I wanted to put a suit on, go into London, um, but didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. Ended up doing some temping work in a chartered accountants that had an estate agency arm um, and then started talking to the, the people in the um, the agency part. And then they offered me a job on the sales and letting side um, as a junior. And it, it kind of started and snowballed from there. Um, and it was the buzz of I started off just doing office work, but then actually I was out. I was talking to people. I was running around London. I started in Covent Garden. And in that time, it was um, 98. Um, and it was fantastic. It was, I've never experienced a, a role like this. So um, having that that environment where you're either in the office, you're talking to people, or you're out and about walking around Covent Garden, Soho, Bloomsbury, it just opened my eyes to, to how exciting this this career could be and it just carried on from there Mm, yeah that sounds hugely exciting and for you was it were you always looking for something that kind of played to that kind of people person skill set did you always think I want to work with people I want to be out and about and doing things I don't just want to be kind of sat behind the desk the whole time it it wasn't till I started doing I realized um I'm quite impatient I I always want the next thing in terms of where we're going um as my friends know it's kind of I'm always kind of what what's next what else can we do where else can we go what can we do um so I think it wasn't till I realized that actually this was an option that actually then it was just opening my eyes in terms of um something that I wanted to pursue and carry on with and then realized pretty quickly that this is going to be the career moving forward. Mm, And I think what you said there about impatience and kind of always looking for the next thing, I suppose that's quite linked to to drive and ambition. Would you say that that was always in the in the forefront of your mind when you were starting out thinking, okay, this is what I'm doing now. And obviously looking at it from a, okay, from the sale to the sale perspective, but also looking at it from a career trajectory perspective. I'm I'm not sure if it was. I don't think I had that, that, that drive at the beginning. It was, I'm always looking for the next deal or looking for the next applicant to speak to. But in terms of, um, thinking how high can I go and where can I go to next I don't think I had that at the beginning um it wasn't till later um that that actually I I had quite a lot of self-doubt when I was younger in terms of my ability especially coming across to to Knight Frank and not not my ability and my background as well back in 2003 Knight Frank was a very different organization and I didn't go to private school I didn't grow up in a in a wealthy family I didn't go to university so actually coming into an organization like Knight Frank and thinking I can progress and and I can be further up. I I just didn't have that belief. Um, And it took me a little while for me to believe in my abilities and for my, the people around me to tell me that actually you've got the skill set for this to go a lot further than where you are at the moment. Yeah. I think that's a really, really fresh perspective on it as well, actually, because as someone who also didn't go to private school, I found that when I came straight out of uni into into an industry that is quite dominated by people who have a particular kind of background obviously things are changing and we as a firm are doing a lot to try and change that but definitely it can be be quite intimidating and did you find that you ever had any moments where you then regretted not going to uni or regretted not going and doing certain things before getting into property because of that um I'm not sure if, I, I don't think I did I, I it would always be good further education I I, I wasn't because of my impatience and because of the, the, the way I am, I, I probably didn't 
do as well at school that, that uh, I probably could have done. And I've probably done more since I've come out in terms of qualifications, um, in terms of letting specific qualifications um, or higher education than I did at school. Um, I, I wish I, I tried harder. I wish, as most people do, that you got better grades. Um, but I'm actually, in terms of the, the, the direction I went in and where it's got me to, I, I can never complain or, or never look back and think, actually, I wish I did something different because I've been so grateful for the opportunities that I've had. Um, and because I started my career at the point I did, I've managed to get to where I am now, I believe, at, the, at this point. So um, while it'd be, I'd love to have experienced the whole university side um, and maybe a bit of traveling as well, I'm, no, I'm never going to look back and think actually I wish I did something different because I'm happy of where I am. Yeah definitely and going back there to what you mentioned about not feeling like you you fit in or not feeling like you quite sat right where you were in those early stages because of the the nature of the industry especially back in in the early 2000s and the late 90s. I would I mean I personally would call that almost imposter syndrome but I don't want to put words in your mouth but did you find that you that imposter syndrome always made you more driven or did you find that it had an impact in the way that you went about those early stages of your career yeah it's it's I don't know it may I, I think it just took me time to to realize that you didn't need to be of a certain demographic or you didn't your, your parents didn't need to come from a certain background or you didn't need to live in a certain place to to achieve um or to progress within within the firm that um if you work hard if you're driven if if you if you're successful then the doors open in terms of where you want to go um so i think it was just me believing in myself um and and ensuring that that i continue to push forward and didn't shy back in terms of situations but all the time wondering whether you are good enough for the role and I, there were certain points in your career and certain um conversations you had or I had with people and and I remember one certain time when someone turned around to me that was more senior to me and said I actually fell out of my comfort zone most of the time you just have to deal with it not every not everyone in in, in a more senior position is amazing at what they do or everyone sorry everyone's amazing at what they do but are they an expert in in whatever situation that comes up no and I think you just need to realize that that um you, there's always stuff to learn. Not everyone's an expert and, and, and people will fall out of their comfort zone, but you just, it's how you adapt and how you manage that situation, how you're prepared for a meeting that you don't really understand properly when you go into what you do to get over that, how you can, um, how you can adapt and, and just being the, the, the best you can be. Um, Cause it's always good to learn and challenge yourself. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it is, it's so important for people who are in, in those senior positions, as you mentioned there, to, to vocalise feelings like that and saying, OK, I do feel out of my comfort zone, but it's almost destigmatizing it and being like, it's perfectly normal to feel that way. It doesn't mean that you're any better or any worse at what you're doing just because you have a, a slight feeling of anxiety about something. If anything, it's, it's positive that you do have that feeling because it means that you care about what you're doing. And and linking on from that, you sit on our, on our balance board here at Night Frank. And would you mind telling us a little bit more about that and why in particular, especially based on what you've just spoken about there, why it was important for you to, to have that perspective and be involved in something like that for, for me personally um 
it's it, it's it's difficult to to think that people have uh, they, they they judge certain characteristics or, or certain kind of personalities or certain type of people based on how they look. Um, and I've always been my my, my parents have, have taught me growing up, growing up that don't judge people by by how they look. It, it's the, it's the person. And I think coming into business as well um, and looking after such a large group of people, there's there's nearly three hundred people in the residential lettings business. Um, that that someone wouldn't feel comfortable being at work because of how they look or who they are um, as a person, their, their gender, their sexuality. And for me, it's it's something that I'm really passionate about to ensure that if you come to work, you can be yourself. Um, and, and being able to represent and be the sponsor for residential and being able to change something like that is massive. Um, and it's it, it's 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 disappointing and 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 I suppose a bit embarrassing that we've still got people in the business that, that can't express themselves properly, can't talk about their sexuality or their, their gender because they think they can't progress. Or if they look at the senior management and they feel that, that I can never be in that position because I'm not a white male, um, it, it, it's we, we, that's something that I'd, I'd love to be able to change. And we are, we're doing some amazing things at the moment, which are starting to uh, starting to come out. Um, and and it's great. It's great to see that develop over the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's really encouraging to see that a business like Night Frank has got people within it and has got groups of people within it who are inspired and determined to make those sorts of changes. And I think it's it's really encouraging to see that this is something that could almost shape the entire property industry going forward. For you then, what is your kind of vision for for that board and what you can produce? Where do you kind of see your input in that kind of balanced trajectory going forward? What do you want to yeah, create from it. We've got to be in a position where people look from the outside into our business and think that this is a balanced business. Um, that 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 you, I could succeed there, no matter who I am, where I'm from, um, and 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 what I do. And then from the inside, the people that we have. Um, feel inspired to progress within the firm they feel that they could be transparent they could be open about themselves they can talk about what they did um, on the weekends um, who their partners are um, and and just seeing the firm evolve and we have done we've moved forward but there's a lot more that we can do um, and and I, I we we the surveys and the the people we speak to the, there are still lots of negative comments and that, and that's going to happen that's that we just need to be honest with ourselves in terms of the position but moving forward having balance boards um, having um, people that are inspired to ca- to carry on progressing their careers and the feedback that we get we need to change those views um, and as I said there are um, we sit in so many hours of meetings and discussions and, and project groups on how we can change this. And there are so many great objectives that are going to be rolled out over the next 12 months that will make a difference. And this is the, the first time I can see that there is a real drive to change this. Um, and it's really exciting. Amazing. And I think anybody listening to this, who, whether or not they have a particular vested interest in that sort of stuff, will find that really, really inspiring and uplifting to hear. And so to somebody who perhaps was looking to to get into property, looking at your career trajectory, looking at what you've achieved, and also hearing what you've just said there, and perhaps may not have automatically have thought of a career in property because they may not have thought they fit in or or, or a multitude of different things. What advice would you give to them on their early stages of their career? Um, you've, you've, you've got to do the, property, property isn't difficult. Um, you've got to do the basics really well, whether it's calling people back, whether it's going the extra mile, whether it's, um, being friendly, all the stuff that just comes natural to people. Um, but I get really frustrated with, um, 
when I see people that just don't do the basics of agency really well. You don't need skills to be punctual. You don't need skills to be polite to people, to be enthusiastic. And they're the really easy bits that anyone can do. It's negotiating a sale or, or um, talking to a client about a price reduction. They're the bits that you need your input on. But there's just basic things that actually just make you good at what you do that you don't need to go there. Um, you don't need the, the skill set for straight away. So it's making those extra phone calls. It's being proactive, being energetic. Um, and the enthusiasm is massive. As I said at the start, you've got to look at the positives in situations. Um, oh, the market's quiet. Oh, we don't have enough applicants. It's not what have we got? What else can we do? And where else can we go? So it's making the most of the situation you're in and the skill set that you've got to be able to then progress yourself and then move forward so you can learn more. Um, it takes time. It's I've been I've been an agency now for over 20 years um, and it takes time to, to learn. I'm always learning. I'm still learning. Um, and you've just got to be patient and, and you'll get there. It's, it's such a fun industry. Um, I know hundreds of people, thousands of people that are around the business which um, have made great careers. Um, but it's just doing the basics. And even as I get older and, and, and you move and you change roles, it's still really important. I still, if someone chases me because I haven't got back to them quick enough, that that's not good. So you've got to remember some of the, the things that you started when you started your career because they're important now as they were before. Mm, yeah, it's that fine balance between being proactive, but also being patient and, and listening and taking stock of what other people are doing and working out how best to communicate with people based on who they are as a person and, and what role they're in. And to look at your your career in a more kind of London and lettings focused, you, when you started out, you decided to focus kind of on the city and the surrounding areas. Did you have a particular interest in this part of London or was it simply a matter of, of wanting to get in and wanting to be somewhere in London? The, the geography made a difference. I used to drive into work and um, I live in um, on the edge of South East London and Kent and it was just easy for me to get into work. So the geography made a difference. But uh, I think going back originally as well to the kind of self-doubt and the person I looked at the prime central London areas and, and didn't think that I was the right character for that, that role. So stayed within the city and East um, locations, um, whether that's wrong of me to think that. Um, but I, for me in the early stages, it was geography. It was easy to get into work. I felt that the location was right for me. Um, so, I, and it kind of worked and I enjoyed the pace of the market, the speed um, and the values of the properties worked really well. Mm, and what was it, about like what when you look at the city and in East London and that sort of area, what is it that you love so much about it? What kept you there and what kept you excited about it? The, the river's massive. If you, if it doesn't matter who you are, if you go and have a look at a riverside apartment, the first thing you do is you walk out onto the balcony and you stare at the river. Um, and it's funny because you look at the Thames and it's this kind of big long dirty river that, that that's not that inspiring, but there is something about the river which is fantastic and, and it's calming and 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 you just stand and have a chat with someone. Um, so having the, the properties along the river are, are great and it, it really makes a difference um so that that was one of the draws for me um and especially the fact that you can walk into the city um and some of the especially in Wapping as well because most people don't realize that Wapping is there um and a lot of the people that I've interviewed for other jobs in London the first time they come to Wapping is because they've interviewed with me um um, but it's such a great location in terms of this little hidden gem on the river that's walking distance to Liverpool Street. I loved kind of showing people um, around the location and, and what it had. So that, that was one of the kind of the draws for me. And I spent a long time in that office. I didn't leave it until 2016. Um, so um, it was it was a great spot to learn my career. 
Mm, and I completely agree about the kind of draw of the river. Whenever I'm having a moment and I'm like, I just need to get out of South, <laughs> Southwest London. I need to get away from all this. I literally jump in my car and drive to the Thames. I'm just like, right, okay, I'm happy now. So I completely, <laughs> completely relate to that bit. And touching on the difference between sales and lettings, I think a lot of people can think it's a difficult decision when you're first starting out about which side you're going to go to. And if you don't know a huge amount about the huge differentiations between the two sides of the industry, it can be quite a tricky decision. For you, why was it that letting stood out over sales? Was there, was it again, was it a a conscious decision or was it again, just trying to get into the industry and lettings were what you fell into? Yeah, it was the... I did the junior role to start with and I did a bit of sales and a bit of lettings, um, but it was the speed of the transaction on the letting side. Um, on the very early days, I, I couldn't see the end site. It was a Maguria sale and it's going to take a couple of months at least for it to go through or I can agree a lettings deal and this could move in next weekend. Um, and it was an easy one for me at that point. So it was all about the speed of the transaction, being able to see side of this tenant moving in, um, the buzz of it happening quickly, spinning plates, having multiple things going on. It was pretty clear straight away that this is this is something that suits my style and and and, and what I'm about. Mm. And you've and you've said that like, everything you seem to be talking about has that link to to not impatience because I feel like impatience doesn't sound particularly a nice word to use, but that <laughs> almost like that want to be kind of doing something new and getting something going and, and not be sat around waiting for something all the time. Is having that that self awareness something that you think is is really important? And do you think that through being aware that that's the kind of person you are, it's been really positive for you in terms of being able to develop your career? Yeah, you've, you've got to look at your strengths and you've got to look at what you're good at and you've got to really focus on what you're, you're not so good at as well. Being honest with yourself. I've, I've been, Night Frank's been fantastic in terms of sending me through coaching sessions um, and having training and actually sitting there and identifying what you're not so good at and, and me knowing that I'm an impatient person and focusing and concentrating for a long period of time is difficult. So putting in the um, the ways that you can get around that or the or the, or the, the, the the bits you need to do to ensure that that doesn't become a problem and you turn it into a positive. Um, so you've got to be aware of your strengths and your weaknesses um, to make sure that, that you can combat those or you can put things in place to make sure that, that, that they become, um, that they're not issues moving forward. And we've obviously already spoken about imposter syndrome, but when I read your introduction, it's clear that there's, you've done a lot of incredible things in your career. You've been in some really senior roles and a lot of people would see that you've kind of moved into them fairly quickly in the grand scheme of things. How did you find that experience of taking on such senior roles and so much responsibility? Was that an intimidating prospect or was it something that you really embraced and really enjoyed? I I loved it, but it scared the life out of me, um, especially more recently. the great thing is having having good people around you that support you, um, whether it's Tim Hyatt, my boss, um, who I've worked with literally from the day I joined the firm, um, and having people that, that give you the reassurance um, that, that you can do more and you are good at your job. Um, that's why I try and spread as much positivity and give as much praise around the business because you need you need people to be positive about what they're doing um but it scares the life out of you moving into a senior position whether it's whereas as a negotiator moving into a manager a manager moving to a regional partner um or moving up to a to the subdivisional head um you, you've just got to take it in your stride you've got to believe in yourself you've got to look back and think actually the, the reason i'm here is because i've done x y and z but having the people around you that can support you no one can do 
do their jobs on their own. It's very difficult to try and be successful just as you on your own. You've got to have the right people there to support you and you supporting them as well. Um, and I've been lucky enough to have some fantastic people around me um, over the years um, that, that, that have helped me get to the position I'm in. Um, and I'm really grateful. And and obviously, as you move up, especially in the property industry, you become less involved in the more transactional side of things and more involved in the, the managerial side of things. Do you ever find yourself missing the kind of the hustle and bustle of being a negotiator and being in the more transactional side of the business? That, that's the say the fun bit. I actually I, I loved being a negotiator. I love being a manager. So when you're a negotiator, you're obviously renting properties and you're dealing with applicants. And then the manager, you're dealing with the clients. You're taking on instructions and the pitching side and winning the business. That side's great. I I knew I got to a certain point where actually I'm enjoying management of people better than that. So that's fun. And I love that part of my career. But actually, I really enjoy managing of people, projects, um, and the position I'm in now. I think if I had the trade of the two, I think I'd probably still stay where I'm, even though the pressures are, are higher. Um, and it's a more demanding job. Um, I actually enjoy the management of people more. But going out, being a negotiator, doing the deal, the buzz of the sale is fantastic, and I, I love those. I love those years. Mm. And and as you said, there you're more involved in the the winning of clients and the the pitching to people and that sort of stuff now. And as I mentioned at the beginning, you've been involved in some incredible developments and schemes across the capital that have been sold all around the world and been really, really interesting from an international perspective. Are there any in particular schemes or projects or transactions that that really stick in your mind and that you look back on really fondly? The, the, the best ones neobank side so the one next to the tate um it, it that was real the, the real first lifestyle development that, that came out of the ground in london um and we was involved from the start native land with the developers and we we were there um obviously this is a residential development scheme but we were there helping advising um, where we could it was a hole in the ground we saw the site um, and we saw it built from scratch. Um, I was lucky enough to go to Asia with the residential development teams when they were selling the development um, to met the owners of the apartment and then see the development complete. Um, the properties come onto the rental market and be furnished. They then kept a, develop a part of the building as well that they rented separately as a PRS development. Um, and then seeing that whole life cycle. So that was the first one that I really saw from start to finish from a hole in the ground all the way through the sales process into the people moving in, renting the apartments, and then seeing this this amazing development complete, um, full up with our tenants, um, and then Knight Frank with the managing agents of the building. And for me, that was the first real cycle of seeing this lifestyle development from inception all the way through to completion. And that will always stick in my mind because that was a challenge at times um, and, and very difficult, but one of the most rewarding and such an impressive development. Mm, that sounds amazing. And it's great that you were able to to travel and do so many different things within, within one development. And you said there that it was a, a challenge at times. Do you think that actually it sounds a little bit um, contradictory to say that you always enjoy the challenge, but do you think that by having that little bit of challenge involved in it made you you enjoy it more because when you got to the end and you saw the end result it felt more fulfilling yeah if something's too easy then you're going to forget about it it's, it's just going to be one of those ones but having something because you've got to learn from situations and 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 that was one of the developments we learned from in terms of
of the management of the client, um, the management of the landlords, the pricing, um, how to launch a development. Because um, when you get a new scheme and, and, and a developer completes on it, you've got a lot of apartments. It's how you manage those to get them let as quickly as possible, not to have an oversupply situation. And because we had, this is the first development that we had, I had in London that I dealt with where on one side of the road, the prices were 500 pounds a week. In the development we were looking after, there were 1200 pounds a week. So it's managing that expectation because of the extra facilities and the quality of the development. It was, it's how you can have managed those situations. So you learn from every every challenge and situation. That was definitely one I learned from. Mm, yeah, that's great. And I think it is really important to acknowledge that as much as you can see an end result and you can post it on, say, social media and stuff and say, oh, look, this is amazing and we've just completed this and it's also exciting as actually being like when you look at the the finer details and the almost nitty gritty of it, you do have to acknowledge that there is a little bit of challenge that goes into everything. Definitely. And I mentioned social media there. And and as you know, I've got a particular vested interest in talking about social media. But do you feel that having a kind of digital profile at the moment in this period of time in the property industry, do you think that having that digital profile and namely through social media is vital for success in the in the residential industry at the moment? I'm not sure about it's vital just yet, but I think we're definitely moving to a direction where it, it will become that. Um, we're, I think we're scratching the surface in terms of um, what we can do, and it's it's having an impact. It's helping with um, awareness. Um, I do obviously do a lot of work on the marketing side as well, and 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 the brand awareness for your firm and for yourself, um, and understanding your local community and and what's going on. So I think we're getting there. Is it vital at the moment? I'd probably say no, not yet, but it, I, we're we're heading in that direction, and it will be very soon. Mm. And do you find yourself often engaging with with clients and and people across the business through social media that you wouldn't necessarily have spoken to before? It, it definitely gives us an opportunity to. Um, um, spread the, the night frank word and push research the podcast especially during lockdown as well this has really helped us um, um, talk to more people um, via webcasts and and, and, uh, and, and other things so it, it, it's it's definitely helping us um, um, do more um, without having the face-to-face contact dragging people into our head office for a presentation we, we can present um, six seven hundred people very easily um, with with very quickly um, um, through 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 the podcast which is which has been fantastic so um, the COVID has really helped us change that that focus and that will only develop moving forward Mm. And do you do you find yourself missing the more in-person interactions or are you actually quite enjoying the more digital aspects of, of what's going on at the moment? No, the, the, you can't you can't replicate face to face sitting in a meeting with people, having that conversation um, and, and just having a having a cup of coffee with someone walking past a coffee machine um, and having a conversation. Um, the business generation, the referrals, the, the interaction, it can't be replicated. So while we, we've been lucky that we've got the, the technology to deal with this um, and to manage the situation we're at the moment. Um, I can't wait to get back to the office and see people face to face. No, as much as I am deeply embedded in the digital side of things, I couldn't agree more. Very excited <laughs> to get back to some sort of normality. And to to shift the conversation slightly, obviously this podcast is called At Home With, so it wouldn't be right for me not to ask you about your home. So would you mind telling us a little bit more about about your home, why you chose it and what in particular about it that you that you love so much? The, I moved about a year and a half ago um, and the, the main thing that I wanted was a south-facing garden. The, the previous 
properties I've lived in, I had gardens that faced in different directions and I'd spend all summer just moving the tables and chairs further down the garden to the end of the garden and in the end losing it at three, four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and it used to annoy me no end. So now new house, uh, we've got a south facing garden and I love it. And I can spend the summer out there playing with the kids and the dog. Um, and that was the number one criteria, which sounds um, a bit silly, but having that um, and you don't realize if you've always had that, it's something you, you never normally kind of um, talk about. But when we moved and my wife thought I was crazy, but um, it was something that it was top of the list. And if we didn't have that, I wasn't interested in seeing the property. So that that, that was the number one thing for me. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. And I suppose especially when we had that amazing weather during the first lockdown, I suppose that was a massive benefit to have that. Huge. It was great. I loved it. And I, I was um, very proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> and would you say that you're you're quite an, an outdoorsy kind of person? Do you much prefer kind of being outside and being in nature than, than being stuck inside? I like the balance of the both because we we do long hours. Um, back before um, lockdown, um, I'd leave the house at half six in the morning and not get home until seven, half seven at night. So on the weekends, I do enjoy being in the house um, and relaxing, but I, I need to get out and about as well. So it's finding that balance between the two, taking the dog out in the woods, going for a walk, getting out of the house. Um, so you've got to ensure that you've got the balance between the two. But I, I like exercise. I like kind of um, physical activity. So it, it's having the balance of, of both of those to make sure that you're just not all stuck in all the time. Yeah, definitely. And you said you touched there on, on kind of exercise and getting outside and, and walking the dog. Are those things that are really important for the preservation of your your mental health as well as your physical health? you've got to you've got to have that balance to make it feel like like most people I like a glass of wine I like nice food um and you've got to feel that you've got that balance between the two for 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 yourself personally um that you're looking after yourself and obviously you've got to look after yourself as well you've got to make sure that you're protecting your health um obviously I'm the the past couple of weeks haven't been that great with COVID and, and a bad back but I'm normally quite an active person and exercise really makes me feel better about myself um if you've you've spent a lot of time at work you've you've eaten some rubbish food going for a run getting on the bike doing some weights it can really really make you feel better so it's it's a big focus for me and something that that i i make sure i do at least a couple of times a week mm, yeah and i think ultimately that that balance is as a, and again it's it's again through things we've talked about throughout this conversation is it's having that self-awareness and it's knowing that actually you need a balance in order to look after yourself in the best way that's the most important thing and to bring things back onto the property is there anything that we have kind of on on night frank's books at the moment and from a lettings perspective that you're really excited about um what have we got at the moment that's great there's so many great prs developments so the private rented sector these are professional landlords so um like like the canary wolf group um um, that own the Canary Wharf Estate. Um, there's a lot of these types of landlords that are building residential developments um, and projects that, that are purpose-built to rent out. So the whole building is tenanted. Um, but they have lifestyle elements. There'll be communal facilities, there'll be gyms, there'll be bars, there'll be cinema rooms. Um, and it just really creates this lifestyle community of, of rental property, which is really changing the dynamic, dynamics um, of, of tenanted um, flats and apartments, um, especially with this kind of landlord focus. And these are really, really nice developments. So Virtus is one of them in Canary Wharf. Um, we've also launched um, a new development, which is a bit further out called Barking Wharf, um, which is... Um, 
590 apartments and we've literally just started renting the flats there so this kind of new breed of professional landlord has really added a new dynamic to the um to the rental market um that that's obviously my, my original roots further east but there are some fantastic properties that, that that we have um in prime central london in north london and in the home counties as well the home counties market um and the southwest market has obviously been really strong over the past 12 months with people looking for more space and some people looking to get out of London and, and some of the some of the properties we we rent are spectacular so um, we're, we're really lucky that we've got such great properties that we can deal with and such great clients that we look after because um, there are some outstanding apartments and houses that, that, that are on the market. Amazing that sounds really exciting and we'll make sure to link a few of those in the show notes of this episode. So to begin to wrap up every podcast, we do a quick fire round. And the first question of which is city or country? Has to be city. Classic or contemporary? Ooh, I like a bit of both. Um, I'd probably say contemporary. Penthouse or townhouse? Townhouse. Call or email? Definitely a call. Office or working from home? Office. Instagram or LinkedIn? Instagram. Walk or run? Uh, I, you know, I'm impatient. It's going to be a run. <laughs> and finally, north or south of the river? I've always lived south, so it has to be south. Good, good answer. <laughs> and the final question that we ask everybody on the podcast is that now we're in our 125th year um, of Night Frank, and, and you've been here for a considerable amount of that, that period in the last few years. What does being a partner in property mean to you? It's having a client for life. You, you want to be able to give advice to someone that, that doesn't always generate a fee. It's it's in their best interest. Obviously, we're here to to make money for Night Frank, but at the end of the day, you, you've got to be offering professional and honest, constructive advice to a client for them to come back to you. The clients that you want that that, that class you as a, a partner in property are the ones where you don't speak to them for months, if not years. And then they just pick up the phone and you carry on the conversation. And to be honest, I'm honoured when someone calls me and asks my advice um, about something as big as buying a property because um, they value your, your, your input. They value your um, professional views on these subjects. And these are huge. These, these are massive decisions that people are making and they're putting their trust in you, which, which is amazing. Um, you've got to understand how your clients tick, what, what's important to them whether it's yield based, whether it's return, whether it's just a safe investment and giving that right advice um, and just ensuring you, you're there to give them the honest feedback on whatever transaction they're looking at. And at the end of the day, you, you then become the partner in property. And I think it's, as I said earlier, it's an honor that someone gives you that respect um, and that trust that you're willing to, to look after them. Brilliant. This has been great, Gary. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Good speaking to you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of At Home With. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you shared this episode on social media, and please check out the show notes for more information. I'll be back next Wednesday with another exciting episode.